Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So we started our um, Wednesday night Buddha Path meditation sits, and we had a lovely gathering on Wednesday night, and a big thanks to all of you who came. It was really fun. And the topic that um, we chose to talk about are the hindrances, some of you are here, and the seven spiritual factors of awakening. And I wanted to um, continue that dialogue with you this morning. Um, So let's start with what are the hindrances in practice on and off the cushion. Anybody remember what they what they are from sloth and torpor, sleepiness. Anybody have that meditating today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few of you have that. Um, desire, aversion. aversion. Who had aversion? Raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, restlessness or agitation? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doubt. Why am I here? What am I doing? Why am I meditating? I can't still my mind. Yep. Right. What's this all about? When is she going to ring the bell? <laughs> my favorite story. I'm already deviating from the talk, but is uh, Michelle McDonald. Uh, meditation teacher back east and uh, she was about 17 or 18 and um, I think the meditation center in Boston it was she just wandered in curious about she never meditated before and she was a young teenager and so she sat down on a cushion and there they were sitting for 45 minutes and she noticed no one was moving and you couldn't talk and she wanted to be a well-behaved meditator she had always been a very good Catholic school girl, and so she felt like, I need to be a good Catholic school girl, girl here. And she said she sat on the cushion, and she was in agony. It was just hell, as, as you do sometimes the first time you're sitting. And um, she said she'd given up her religion a long time ago, and, and, um, but she found herself praying to Mary for some, the person to ring the bell. You know, it's a silent prayer. Mary, ring the bell. <laughs> and sometimes when I have agitation on the cushion or aversion, I think about her and I think, Mary, ring the bell. <laughs> so this state of um, hindrance, whatever it is, it's a natural state. We're really born with this. And we like to call them friendly visitors. And the idea behind knowing the hindrances and studying them, being aware of them with mindfulness, is um, to see that that which obscures, that which hides or covers the natural stillness, the beautiful state of presence, a concentrated mind on the cushion, off the cushion, is also the path. It's also um, very much bringing us back by knowing it with mindfulness to presence, wisdom, stillness. 
So yesterday I woke up, and so did you. <laughs> Obviously you're here. And it was Saturday morning, a beautiful, quiet Saturday morning. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, kind of Saturday morning. And just this natural state, many of you experience this regularly and you know it, that natural state of calm, ease, appreciation, stillness, settling into the body, was just there. So much peace, so much appreciation just for breathing, just for sitting, just for experiencing the dog nuzzling up and uh, looking out at the garden, smelling that coffee. Um, I still have a um, practice of, of chanting because I like it. It brings joy from, from when I was uh, um, in my early 20s in, uh, in um, the ashram setting. I like to do that in the morning, um, meditate, just sitting, sitting peacefully, beautiful. It's just a beingness, a beautiful, sweet quality of being here. That's very simple, very natural, right? It's a natural state. And it's great when we land in that, and you all have. Is anybody thinking of a memory or a time? where they just felt that beautiful presence of being. It just came. Some of you are nodding. Right? Anybody want to share one? Richard? Now. Now? Yeah, just being here now, right. Settling in, seeing the beautiful faces of Long Beach. Very exciting. Lots of joy in that. But they're not, this, this sense of presence being is our birthright and could be present all the time, would be present, perhaps is present all the time, but very often it's these things we call the hindrances or it's called the kalashas or strong emotions that cover it, that obscure this beautiful sense of being, simplicity, appreciation, right? here-ness, now-ness, we get lost and we get caught in them, and then we take this to be ourselves. We identify, right? So um, there's a quote from Pema Chodron, I think, if I can find it. We need to know them and embrace them and skillfully work with them. And as we do that, we begin to see the impermanence of these states and that they're not really us, they visit. And they don't grab and hold onto us as much. She says, if we run thousands of miles across the continent in order to get away from the obstacle, we find the same problem waiting for us when we arrive. There's no running from these hindrances. And Leonard Cohen says, if I can find this, Ring the bells that you can still ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Right? So the thing that gets in the way, as we always say here, is the way. Um, so this is where we started with on Wednesday evening. And um, what quickly came up were two things. 
Um, one, one subject that arose very quickly as we explored the hindrance of wanting and desire, right, was that whenever we start deep work of looking within, mindfully investigating where we are, the first thing we encounter is um, a certain kind of aversion arises immediately, and sometimes it's even an ill will. And it goes in, it can go in a few different directions. One direction is the aversion towards us. We're not good enough, right? There's an inner critic that gets, right? Every time we want to look, there's this layer of, oh, it's here and it's me and I don't like it and I'm not enough, of deficiency. And it really gets in the way of looking. That's one thing, right, that we have to work with. And we want to talk about that. And the second thing that gets in the way um, is a different kind of aversion. And it's aversion to deepening the practice. Very rarely talked about. Aversion to letting go, aversion to stillness and arriving. There's an aversion that we have to that. Uh, Marianne Williamson, any of you heard Marianne Williamson? She teaches the Course in Miracles. She's taught it for, I don't know, 40 years now. And um, I was lucky enough to, um, in the 80s, go and listen to her in New York City. Um, when she was new, before she had written books, and wonderful to sit and, and study with, and I um, recommend her talks. And she teaches on the Course of Miracles, and her line was, um, this is this book that you would study and reflect on and meditate on, very beautiful study. And her line was, if you haven't felt like picking up the book and throwing it across the room, you're not working on it yet. <laughs> right? There's a certain kind of stickiness, ooze, that we have to embrace to do the deeper work. And um, we're a culture that doesn't like what's difficult. We want it fast and easy. There wouldn't be a million fast food restaurants, right? Or um, do it now, get it now, fix it now. We want the immediate. And so we need to look at what gets in the way of the way and find a way to hold it in some warmth, in some kindness, in some sweetness. So what do you do um, when um, Thomas Merton, a search for the truth that springs from love, right? There needs to be love in the truth, kindness, compassion, softness. That's how we all can work through and arrive these, to know these difficult states. So um, one person asked, what about emotions in the hindrances, when we started looking at it? What about the feelings that arrive with us? Sadness, grief, anger, jealousy, you know, just emotional state. 
And so I'll talk about where that is also in Buddhist psychology. So one of the things that the Buddha talked about in dealing with these difficulties that get in the way, these friendly visitors that visit all the time, are using and relying, leaning on, and being supported by the factors of enlightenment. And um, the minute you know a hindrance is there, you're already in a mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is already present. And when you're interested with curiosity, compassion, um, and openness, then you are already investigating the second factor of enlightenment, a beautiful factor, investigation. And when you're open and willing and looking and being curious about it, there's energy, right? Energy arises. With interest comes energy. With presence comes energy. With beingness comes an energy, right? Kind of gets you out of that dull, foggy state. And with energy and interest, there's a natural joy, right? There's a sweetness that comes, the sweetness of truth, the sweetness of being, and the sweetness of being present in the truth, in the moment as it unfolds. And with that, there's an ease, a relaxation, and a tranquility that naturally happens. Something lets go and softens, sinks into the moment. And when we do that, we're naturally concentrated. The mind gathers and collects. It's present mind gathers and collects. And when the mind gathers and collects, we're concentrated, it's much easier to have equanimity, right? To allow the tides of life to come and go and not get lost and caught, not get, not fall over, right? to have that balance in life. So these are the beautiful factors of enlightenment that are available for us as we sail through these difficult states, right? These difficult states of being. So, the problem with difficult emotions are that when we've had them as kids, you know, when you threw a temper tantrum or you were really jealous with a sibling, they got more cake than you did, right? or you, you just wanted something so bad you hounded your parent, right? Um, or you were so terrified and someone made fun of you. Or on um, a societal level, you're, you were um, a person of color, a minority, a, a different class or race, and um, you got terribly shamed we have these early experiences of difficulty and we experience these difficult emotions and we learn that they're not safe, that we'll be shamed, that we'll be punished, we'll be put down. Um, some girls were told they couldn't be angry. Some boys were told they couldn't be angry, right? Some boys were told they couldn't be vulnerable. They couldn't cry or they, could, they couldn't be a sissy, right? Some girls were told they couldn't be bold and strong, right? So we all, in human experience, have faced the difficulty of a strong emotion as a child. Um, and in truth, when you look at children, I remember the first time my son 
when he was two and he was overcome with desire, right? We were in a drugstore, Rite Aid, and he saw a toy water gun at the counter and he had to have it, you know, at two. I want that, I want that. And it really escalated. We were on a long line, you know, um, and it was about 5.36. All the people just finished from work coming into the drugstore, wanting to get home, looking a little tired. And he just threw his first major temper tantrum, threw himself on the floor, flailed, screamed. He needed that water gun, right? And, um, right? And there was a part of me that was like, ah, yay, first temper tantrum, you know, like a developmental mark, you know. Like, we're here. This is a terrible tooth. You know, I was so excited. Uh, but not everybody, not every child, right, gets met with that. <laughs> Some of you are nodding, oh, you weren't my parent, right? Uh, right, what happened? So what happens for us then, when we have emotions, negative emotions, strong emotions, a certain alienation from the feeling arises. We push it away, we reject it based on being rejected by others, right? For him, he was just in the midst of desire, right? And he was having a party with, I want that gun, you know? And it was pure. And of course, to, to be in society and be a member of society, that had to get tempered. Um, but, the, but as a child, we don't have a problem with the pure emotion as it arises. We are not ashamed. But as we grow, we do get constricted, shamed, misunderstood, shut down. And there's that constriction and tension you can feel in the body. There's the critical thoughts in the mind. There's the rejection of self. And as practitioners now in meditation, right, in mindfulness on and off the cushion, we alienate and reject what's arising when it's difficult. We don't know. We push it away. Our friend Callie likes to say, um, who's been meditating in the community for many years, her line is, um, my body is in California and my emotions are in Nevada. <laughs> Have you had that? Where you don't even know what you're feeling when you're feeling it, right? And... If you are feeling it, there's the overlay of disliking it, wanting to, it to not be there. Why did that person make me feel that way? <laughs> Darn that person, right? That aversion outward. Or I, I, I just don't want to be in this job. They make me feel this way. Or I don't want to be in this conversation, right? It's a rejection. Or the rejection is internal. Why am I feeling this? I shouldn't be feeling this now. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough in this moment. So, um, so the mindfulness practice is a lot about coming home to the ground of being when the difficult emotion arises and when it doesn't arise. Knowing it. Knowing it in the present moment. And um, the Buddha talked about it in um, his discourses on the third foundation of mindfulness, he talked about knowing emotion, 
right? And so first foundation is mindfulness of the body, very critical. Second is Vedana, feeling tone. I like this, I don't like this, right? We've all had a lot of Vedana already. Uh, you know, I like, I like the big space, I don't like the sound, right? I don't like the cushion, I, I want it different. Third foundation is knowing body-mind. It's called chitta. It's the mind and the heart. Right? Westerners, we, um, when I say, where is your mind? Where is your mind? Where do you point to? Here. It's our brain, right? And in Burma, Thailand, if you say, where is your mind? They say here. Mm-hmm. Right? So the Buddha talked about heart-mind and the connection between the two, or, or as one. And what he taught was that when these difficult emotions arise, right, um, we know it as an object of the mind, the object of awareness, and that we see the nature of that emotion as temporary, impermanent. Right, and that um, it has a tinge of suffering to it that's universal suffering, and that it isn't us, it's a visitor. And this is where we have the most trouble, right? When aversive states come, or greedy states, or agitated states, we hook. A personality joins with it, and then we have a story about us, and we live in the story, and generally there's a bit of suffering there. Right? And we do it constantly. We do it all the time. So what the Buddha is referring to is the path of mindfulness as freedom from that story of you. Right? And what it requires, what makes it so difficult, is that a lot of us, um, the difficult emotion arises. Yesterday I was at a party, yesterday evening, and someone was telling a story about her life, I was green with envy. It wasn't mudita, sympathetic joy. It was envy, okay? I landed smack in envy, right? It was there. I mean, I was wearing a yellow shirt. It should have been green at that moment, right? The fun part is that sometimes when you're, um, in quotes, spiritual, Right? You could get this spiritual shame. There's a lot of spiritual striving. I need to look a certain way. I need to be a certain way. Um, this should be mudita, sympathetic joy. And I just giggled and went, it's green with envy right now in here, folks. Envy. Green. You know? And um, what's nice about holding something without judgment, right? without shame, without expectation, without having to be somebody, right? Without, without any thought of, oh, interesting, envy is here. Awesome, cool, right? That's a freedom. No judgment on that. I'm really green right now, that's where I'm at. And investigating it, knowing it, knowing it how it feels in the body, knowing what my story is, knowing that it's a mind telling a story, and maybe there's some belief there. I believe that if I had her circumstance, I would be a much happier person, 
which may not be true. The mind tells a story all the time. A lot of our stories are really inaccurate <laughs> when you explore them. And uh, then this energy comes, this sweetness, right? This centeredness, huh. sitting at a party, having a moment of envy with this lovely woman. This joy arises because guess what? It was an arising state and a passing state. It had a story. It had a belief. Belief may not be real. Wow, that's nice freedom. Mm -hmm. That was a nice little ride and journey, right? What a sweet ride. Bring it on. You know? So our practice is really about allowing, right? Mindfulness, allowing, being with, abiding in, noticing how it feels in the body, Listening to the mind tell a story. The stories could be big and the stories could be little. Right? And finding that ease and grace to see the temporary nature, the universal suffering that we all have, and that it isn't us. It's a state. Not my story. And when we could work with it in that way, the ground of beingness, the ground of presence, the ground of aliveness and sweetness is more available. Right? But it's not easy, is it? It's not easy for me. I'm going to fall into a trap probably in momentarily. It's only a matter of time that I am going to slip on the banana peel of mindfulness. <laughs> Especially if I think I'm mindful. I am going to slip on the banana peel of mindfulness. Especially when I believe I'm a, I'm a... Hey, look. I'm a meditation teacher. I mean, you know, the banana peel is waiting. Right? I'm mindful. Right? Have some band-aids around, you know, right? This is life. You are going to slip on the banana peel of your ego or your sense of self or your funny little story. And um, wow, the great, awesome, I'm human. I fell asleep one more time. Which is why um, Casey and I both really we love community. You know, we try to build it, we try to keep it going, we want you here because it takes a village to be mindful. I'm sorry, doesn't it? It really does take a village. It takes a community, a sangha of open presence to relax these defenses, yeah? To relax these ways of being that get in the way. Let's see if there's anything else I needed to tell you. I don't think so. I think we... Yes? The first time, at the beginning, towards the beginning of your discussion, you went through some steps. Yes. Um, I know you're taping it. 
would you be able to go back and do an abridged version of those steps if there's time? If there's not, no problem. But do you, you mean what I was talking about, the seven factors? Or? It was, um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was that part, it was the step-by-step step when you attend to the feeling state, what arises, and one of them was equanimity, but there were many prior yeah, to that. Yeah, seven factors. I was actually describing the seven it factors really of enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go through that again. And, and I'm going to, should I use a real life petty exper experience? Let me give you a real life petty experience. Okay. Because that's where the fun is, right? Let's go more petty, right? Um, so uh, last Friday, I, I had to um, go to a big old party that my sister threw, it was uh, what's called a B'nai Mitzvah, it was her twins were having their bar and bat mitzvah, beautiful, and I had a joyful time, but I had to go to work Friday morning and then drive a couple of hours and get there for the celebrations were starting. So um, on Friday at my office, there's a casual Friday dress. Anybody have casual Friday where you could look a little grungier, you know, and not dress up so much? But um, I had this beautiful outfit that I had to wear because I, I was partly helping her host and I wanted to really look snazzy, you know, dress up. So there was the outfit looking at me, and, but my head said casual Friday, right? <laughs> and I did not want to dress up. <laughs> I didn't want to put on the fancy suit and the makeup and the hair, and, you know, I, but I had to because that was the agreement. Uh, is, that low, is that silly enough, right? So I had an aversion to dressing up. I wanted to wear jeans, you know, and a t-shirt. I, I wanted to be as casual as I could in my work setting, and this was a hindrance to me. I was already annoyed, and I was telling myself stories about putting on the suit and the <coughs> heels and the, you know, all the, doing myself up. I was just, my mind was like talking like you would think somebody had asked me to slay a pig or something. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, right, I was just like the aversion to doing something different, you know. It was interesting to listen to this story, right? Uh, it was so big, like a little thing. Can you identify where you make a big deal out of a small thing and... It's a catastrophe for you. You're so uncomfortable. You know, it could be sitting on the 101, you know, uh, right? Or So, okay, so I'm, here's a petty story. So, so the mindfulness, right? Aversion is present. I'm aversive to the outfit. <laughs> I'm aversive to the outfit, right? And I'm hearing my mind throw a little temper tantrum. It was kind of like my son on the floor with the water gun. It was a temper tantrum of sorts. I don't want to, right? Um, so that's mindfulness is present, knowing it. The minute you know your state and you're not lost in it, it's wholesome. You're practicing. Mindful moment. Don't want to wear the dress. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it today. Maybe tomorrow. Um, and with that, if you're mindful, right, if you're aware of this aversive state, you're already investigating. Number two, investigation. And thank you, John. This is a nice direction to go. Curiosity open, looking in without judgment, 
without judging yourself. Huh, you're really having aversion here. What does it feel like in the body? I looked at the dress and my chest contracted, my shoulders dropped, my muscles tightened. I don't want to wear heels and all that. I just don't want to walk around like that, right? And my body was in a state of tension. So I noticed my body. I noticed the mind. I noticed the story of the mind. I'm present. I'm investigating with what's arising, right? Investigation. And when I do that with full attention in a non-judgmental way, with an open, curious state, guess what happens? There's energy. Energy arises to support, to support the practice. Your natural state, energy comes in, right? And with that energy came a little joy in the form of humor. I started to laugh at myself, right? I started to laugh at them. Well, look at this. This is really funny, right? And um, with that joy at laughing at myself, you know, I take this, taken this to be so serious. I've taken myself so seriously, and I've had such a story that created suffering over nothing, right? Over absolutely nothing. And as I walked around the office all dressed up, I began to really enjoy being dressed up. <laughs> I never dress up like that. You know, it was really fun to walk around all dolled up. And people going, ooh, look at you. You know, it's like, huh, this isn't too bad here. <laughs> all right. So um, there was a joy with seeing the game. Right? A natural joy, a sweetness. We call it sweetness, super. And with that, of course, the muscle tension and all the tightness and story relaxed, right? So we have mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, relaxation, right? And when we are in this process, the mind is concentrated. It knows the state. It's not lost in the state, right? It knows the state. I have aversion was present, and aversion is no longer present. It's a concentrated mind, right? And with that comes equanimity. Gee, I could be in jeans on Friday, and I could be dressed up in this suit and heels and all the jewelry and the makeup and all that, or I could be in whatever clothes, and there's a happiness here, right? There's an ease, and that's equanimity. This is the work that we bring towards awakening, towards freedom, towards a liberation. We bring in these factors that hold us. Now, the same thing can be true on the cushion. The same thing happens in meditation. So let's talk about that, right? I'm sitting here, and I hear a sound I don't want. <laughs> right? Now, I can get lost in the story of not wanting, right? And then I become my sad story, right? But if I investigate it, I see it as a version. I see it as something coming and going. The sound uh, didn't come to bother me. I went to bother the sound, right? And if I can land on it with open curiosity, it brings me more present. There's more energy available to my sick. Does that make sense? And as I settle on what's arising and knowing it fully, there is sweetness and joy. As the mind settles, there's a joy and a sweetness. 
Um, and there's a relaxation and a tranquility. And then the mind becomes more one-pointed and concentrated, and I'm okay with sounds coming and going. Now, the hard part about what I just said is how many of us have those moments on the cushion and then we want more, right? Desire comes. I want more of that. So we have to work with that. One last example, because um, this came up on Wednesday night too, when I was talking about um, desire in the yogurt store. <laughs> right. I tend to go for the really small stuff. You know, <laughs> because who here sweats the small stuff? Okay, yeah, okay. And somebody, well, what about something difficult? Same thing with something difficult. Same thing with something difficult. One time, um, my my son, when he was an infant, he was horribly ill, and it was Christmas. And uh, he was in dire, 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 dire trouble. He might not, he could have died, literally. It's not, I mean, really true. And I had to hold him. I didn't know if we would find the surgeon to fix it soon enough. It's a true story. True story. So I had to hold him and try to feed him and literally keep him alive. And he is alive, so it's a good story. Um, but it also in life, it could have not been a good story, right? This is life on life's terms. And I think because of practice for many, many, many years, the same awareness came in, right? Mindfulness, knowing, experiencing all the emotion, feeling, right? being present in the heart, and all those factors supporting that moment so that I remember that profoundly, so that I could sit with him knowing the love for him, whether he was there or not there. Present moment, supporting and holding, a very difficult moment, same practice. Same practice. Not always easy. Right? You know what's even harder? When you're not, when you're caught in a, a hindrance, right? Mm -hmm. When you throw a temper tantrum or you say something really awful or you upset people. Right? We will. We will. So we'll end this on this note of a little practice for all those moments, the moments we love, the moments we don't love, the simple little things we lose ourselves on, right? Like clothing and yogurt, to the difficult ones that you're sitting with loved ones in life and death moments, which we all will. Okay. What we use in our practice is compassion practice. And I'd like to end practicing with you um, some of the ways we lean the mind and train the mind and bring the mind into this state of compassion. So we invite you to pick something difficult, an emotion, a moment, 
on a scale of zero to ten, ten being the worst moment, pick a two or three for the morning, right? Don't go to the bad, bad moment. Um, and as you hold that moment in your mind's eye, you might want to close your eyes for a moment. Maybe feel the effects of this emotion, this time in your body. And some of you might like to put your hand on your heart, your belly. And as you feel the body sensations, notice the thoughts, the impact of the emotion. Silently turning the mind to the heart, to warmth, to kindness, acceptance. And silently repeating the phrases and allowing them to resonate in your heart. May I find stillness within this difficulty. May I find acceptance that allows me to be present in this body. May I find healing and a willingness to embrace this pain. May my body and mind be at ease and at peace in this moment. May I find peace and acceptance in the midst of uncertainty. So whether you're sliding on the banana peel or concentrated on your cushion, wherever you are between those states, may we find some peace and ease. May we find loving kindness in the midst of being human. in the silly, petty moments, and in the big moments. And may we always come together to support each other in this practice, because it's not a me thing, it's a we thing. We'll take a couple of minutes just to close our eyes and breathe a little bit.
You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.